You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. And now, the Rowan Radio News Team. Good morning and welcome to the Rowan Report here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. I'm Allie Bruce with the Rowan Radio News Team. Some of this week's headlines include Hunter Biden's so-called sweetheart plea deal falls apart, wildfires span across Europe amid heat waves, and a Hamilton man was charged after having a suspected pipe bomb. Here's your national news recap for the week of July 23rd. The plea deal in Hunter Biden's criminal case unraveled during a court hearing Wednesday after a federal judge raised concerns about the terms of the agreement that has infuriated Republicans who believe the president's son is getting preferential treatment. Hunter Biden was charged last month with two misdemeanor crimes of failure to pay more than $100,000 in taxes from over $1.5 million of income in both 2017 and 2018. He had been expected to plead guilty Wednesday after he made an agreement with prosecutors who were planning to recommend two years of probation. Prosecutors said Wednesday Hunter Biden remains under active investigation but will not reveal details. U.S. District Court Judge Marilyn Norica raised multiple concerns about the specifics of the deal and her role in the proceedings. And the plan also included an agreement on a separate gun charge. Biden had been accused of possessing a firearm in 2018 as a drug user. As long as he adhered to the terms of his agreement, the gun case was to be wiped from his record. Otherwise, the felony charge carries 10 years in prison. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he's fine after being escorted away from a Republican leadership news conference Wednesday. NBC News' Garrett Hake has more. McConnell's office has been tight-lipped about the incident, saying only that the senator was feeling lightheaded and pointing out that he answered reporters' questions sharply after he returned. The Kentucky senator appeared to freeze up after he had stopped talking during the news conference. Some of his colleagues then asked McConnell if he was okay before Senator John Barrasso held him by the arm and walked him away from the podium. McConnell later walked back to the news conference by himself. An aide to the senator said he felt lightheaded and stepped away for a moment. Earlier this year, McConnell spent time in a rehabilitation facility after he tripped and fell at an event. He spoke on the Senate floor Thursday, a day after appearing to freeze up during the news conference. The Kentucky Republicans spoke about defense issues. Like ranking member Wicker, Vice Chair Collins, and many other colleagues on both sides of the aisle, I've been supportive of this important effort. Outcompeting China is going to take a coalition of committed allies and partners. McConnell's incident sparked concerns on his health status. President Biden called to check on him, and McConnell joked he got sandbagged, in reference to Biden tripping over a sandbag last month. Senator Dianne Feinstein appeared to have been confused during a committee vote Thursday. The California Democrat was called on to vote during her Senate Appropriations Committee meeting. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. Aye. Thank you. Senator Durbin, Senator Reid. Aye. The 89-year-old's moment came a day after the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell froze during a news conference after he trailed off while speaking to reporters. The White House is slamming House Speaker Kevin McCarthy for suggesting the chamber may pursue an impeachment investigation into President Biden. 
In a statement to The Hill, the White House called McCarthy's comments a ridiculous, baseless stunt intended to attack the president when Republicans should be focusing on more important issues facing the American people. The administration noted McCarthy has faced some pushback from members of his own party. Recently, Colorado Republican Ken Buck called McCarthy's comments impeachment theater. House Republicans are currently conducting investigations into the Biden family's business dealings. Texas Republican Michael McCall says the 2021 withdrawal from Afghanistan was a mistake of epic proportions. This was a complete failure because we didn't have a plan of action. President Biden and Secretary Blinken failed to change course to the very end. During a House hearing on the military withdrawal, McCall said President Biden ignored warnings from his own generals and intel community about what was happening on the ground. He vowed to hold people accountable for the operation. The Taliban rapidly took control of the country following the U.S. exit. A suicide bombing at a Kabul airport killed 13 U.S. service members. Lawmakers are at odds over gender-affirming care for minors. Medical professionals in schools increasingly see parents as, quote, transphobic bullies who must be prevented from standing in the way of the medical sexual transition of their own kids. During a House Judiciary Subcommittee Thursday, Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson said it's anything but affirming and caring, arguing adults are permanently altering the bodies of children who don't have the capacity to make those decisions on their own. He said there's an aggressive attempt to transition young people in the U.S. Pennsylvania Democrat Mary Scanlon pushed back, saying Congress has no business interfering in parents' decision to offer medical care for their children. A Senate committee is passing legislation to make AM radio available for free in the Every Vehicle Act. In a bipartisan vote, the bill received overwhelming support and now moves from the Commerce Committee onto the full Senate. The legislation would turn to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to make a rule that requires vehicle manufacturers to keep AM broadcast radio without a surcharge. The Government Accountability Office would also have to look into whether an alternative system can alert the public to emergencies the way radio can. The president of the National Association of Broadcasters says the legislation would allow AM radio to continue as the backbone of the nation's emergency alert system. I'm Allie Bruce, and that was your national news. I'm Gavin Trutzenbach with your international news report. All three international stories are coming from Reuters. In central Greece, wildfires that have been supercharged by strong winds and temperatures exceeding 40 Celsius, about 104 Fahrenheit, killed two people on Wednesday and forced a new wave of evacuations. In the last 24 hours alone, 61 wildfires erupted across Greece, the fire brigade said. Officials ordered the evacuation of several communities in the hard-hit area of Magnesia, a coastal area north of Athens. The body of a 45-year-old shepherd was found in a rural area on Wednesday evening, the fire brigade said. Earlier, authorities had found the body of a woman, per state TV ERT. Both deaths were attributed to the fires. Dozens of firefighters, assisted by 15 fire engines, were battling the flames as they threatened the industrial zone of the city of Volus, the regional capital. Firefighters circled the zone as they tried to protect it, said a Reuters witness. The labor ministry urged employers in the area to suspend the operation of their businesses on Thursday. A separate wildfire flared near the city of Lamia, south of Volus. Residents of several settlements were told to leave their homes. 
Large areas of the Mediterranean have sweltered under an intense summer heat wave in recent days, and firefighters have been battling to put out blazes across the region, from Portugal to Sicily to Algeria. On the Greek island of Rhodes, where more than 20,000 foreign visitors and locals fled seaside hotels and homes over the weekend, fires were beginning to abate on Wednesday. Although, firefighters were still trying to put out a wall of flames close to a mountainous area in Rhodes South that has burned uncontrolled for more than a week. The government on Wednesday sought to contain damage to the reputation of one of its crucial revenue earners, tourism. Greece is heavily reliant on its sea and sun tourist trade. Around 3,000 tourists had left Rhodes to return home by plane by Tuesday. The battle with the devastating fires continues on several fronts today, by all civil protection forces in extreme conditions. Fire Brigade spokesperson Yanis Artapias said at a briefing, today is the most difficult day of the summer. Greece is not the only European country suffering wildfires through this heat wave. Our next story takes us to the Spanish island of Gran Canaria, where firefighters have finally stabilized a wildfire that ravaged 400 hectares of woodland. Authorities declared the wildfire stable at 12.42 a.m. local time on Thursday, or 11.42 GMT, after it had forced the evacuation of hundreds of villagers from their homes, as well as dozens of children from a camping site near a mountaintop. Three roads were closed off while emergency services deployed nine aircraft and 250 firefighters to contain the blaze. Unfortunately, a house has burned down on Pico de las Nieves, local emergency services chief Federico Grillo said on messaging platform X, formerly known as Twitter. No injuries were reported. Since Wednesday, authorities had allowed residents to return to their homes to check for possible damage and care for their pets, accompanied by security officers. Earlier in July, 4,000 people were evacuated from their homes on the island of La Palma, near Gran Canaria, as another forest fire burned out of control. Countries across Europe have struggled to cope with wildfires amidst this heat wave. Per the BBC, other regions struggling with wildfires include Portugal, Algeria, and even outside of Europe into parts of northern Africa. On to the latest from the Russia-Ukraine war, Russian President Vladimir Putin said on Wednesday that Ukraine had intensified its frontline attacks over the last few days, while a Ukrainian official said Kiev was making slow but steady progress in liberating its territory. On Wednesday, three different media outlets cited unnamed U.S. officials as saying Kiev had launched a new phase of its ambitious counteroffensive, which seeks to eject Russian troops from the nearly 20% of Ukrainian land still under occupation. Asked about these reports, Yuri Sack, an advisor to Ukraine's defense minister, told Reuters that there is nothing new happening at front lines. In the South, we are moving forward slowly but surely, he said. Meanwhile, Putin told Russian television that every Ukrainian assault had been beaten back and that Moscow's forces had inflicted significant losses on their opponents. Kiev and Moscow's defense ministries offered contradicting accounts of fighting. Russia's defense ministry said Russian forces had repelled Ukrainian attacks around the village of Klishchivka near Bakhmut and north of Rabatine on the front line in the Zaporizhia region. Russian state news agency TASS reported. However, Ukrainian Deputy Defense Minister Hannah Maliar wrote on Telegram that Ukrainian forces were gradually moving forward near Bakhmut and that fighting was ongoing near Klishchivka, Kudryamivka, and Endrivka. Maliar also said Ukraine had beaten back Russian attacks on two northern fronts near Kupiansk and Lyman. Reuters could not independently verify the battlefield reports. Ukraine's counteroffensive has thus far moved slowly, only recapturing several hundred square kilometers, a tiny fraction of the territory still under Russian control. However, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky hailed very good results on the battlefield in an address on Tuesday evening, promising to give details later. One of the few areas where Kiev has enjoyed success so far 
far has been along the Mokryali River in southeastern Ukraine, where Ukrainian troops have captured several settlements and are now nearing the Russian-held village of Staromayorsky. Alexander Khodakovsky, an influential Moscow-backed separatist commander in eastern Ukraine, posted an angry message on his Telegram channel on Wednesday, complaining about heavy shelling of Staromayorsky over several days, followed by a Ukrainian assault which had made some gains. Sack said there was fighting ongoing near Staromayorsky, but the village was not yet under Ukrainian control. I'm Gavin Trutzenbach, and that was your International News Report. I'm Sam DeChuchis with your local news. A Mount Laurel, New Jersey man has been charged after investigators say they found suspected pipe bombs in his car. Hamilton Township Police say they pulled over 51-year-old Jeremy Gilberti Wednesday morning in the area of South Broad Street and Oldfield Avenue. They then say officers found four metal pipes with caps and green wicks sticking out of them on the floor of his car. Surrounding businesses and homes had to be evacuated as the bomb squad took away the devices. Police say another device was also found inside his home in Mount Laurel. Gilberti was charged with possession of destructive device. He was transported to the Mercer County Correctional Facility pending a detention hearing. A toddler has died after police say she was shot by a teenage relative inside of a Philadelphia home. It happened on the 1600 block of North 29th Street in the Brewery Town section of the city Thursday afternoon. According to police, a total of eight people were inside the home at the time of the shooting, including children aged 14, 9, 2, and 1. Philadelphia Police Sergeant Eric Grip told reporters at the scene that it appeared as though the 14-year-old was able to access an unsecured gun inside the home. While handling that weapon in an upstairs bedroom, at least one shot was fired. The two-year-old girl was struck in the head by gunfire. She was rushed to the hospital in a private vehicle and was pronounced dead around 12.30 p.m. Grip added that two officers were injured while responding to the scene when they were involved in a crash with a civilian and their vehicle. The officers and civilian are all listed in stable condition. A New Jersey school bus monitor charged in the death of a six-year-old special needs student appeared before a judge on Tuesday, after prosecutors said that she could have saved the girl's life had she not been on her phone instead. Amanda Davila sat quietly in a Somerville courthouse, charged with second-degree manslaughter and endangering the welfare of a child in connection with the death of six-year-old Fadra Williams. The young girl's parents were in the courtroom as the case was detailed and had to relive the loss of their child one more time. Her daughter had a rare chromosome disorder called Emanuel syndrome, which led to her being nonverbal and using a wheelchair. She was on her way to an extended school year program in Franklin Township around 9 a.m. on July 17th with the wheelchair she utilized secured in the back of the vehicle by 27-year-old Davila. But as the bus was on its route, a series of bumps in the rows caused Fadger to slump in her wheelchair, causing the four-point harness which secured her to the chair to tighten around her neck preventing her from breathing. As that was going on, Davila of New Brunswick was seated toward the front of the bus and was on her phone with earbuds in both ears, according to law enforcement. An investigation found that doing so was in violation of policies and procedures for school bus monitors. The girl was found unresponsive, and officers who responded to the 911 call performed CPR. She was rushed to a nearby hospital's intensive care unit where she was pronounced dead. In court, Davila's attorney called what happened a tragedy, but arguing his client should be released. He said she not only feels terrible about what happened, but she's never been in trouble before, and she even has a two-year-old of her own with special needs. Prosecutors point to video from on board the bus which allegedly shows Davila sitting up front, away from Fadger, with her cell phone out and headphones in, during a 14-minute stretch where Fadger lost consciousness. Citing bail reform laws, the judge ultimately decided Davila didn't pose a great enough flight risk and agreed to her release ahead of her next court appearance in August. Fadger's mother had mixed feelings about the decision to release the bus monitor. As part of her release, Davila was instructed to not have any contact with school-aged children, the school, or the victim's family. She is next scheduled to appear in court on August 28th. An investigation into the incident is still ongoing. 
Postal inspectors and New Jersey State Police are investigating two separate attacks on mail carriers. The first attack happened on June 13th in the Bridgeton area. A bystander stepped in when a man assaulted a postal worker. CBS News Philadelphia acquired video of a separate attack that happened on July 3rd in Vineland. Officials say the carrier was sprayed with bear spray in an attempted robbery. There's a $50,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of these attackers. A 62-year-old New Jersey woman posed as a doctor by presenting herself as a family member who has a medical license, authorities said. Maria F. McBurney treated patients and prescribed medicine, including controlled dangerous substances, to patients while working out of Shore Medical Associates on Route 37 in Toms River. McBurney of Toms River was charged with practicing medicine by an unlicensed person, forgery, healthcare claims fraud, and three counts of distribution of a controlled dangerous substance. She wrote multiple prescriptions under the name of Dr. Faye Almazon Condit and submitted multiple insurance claims and bills for services while the latter was unable to see patients, the prosecutor's office said. McBurney, who also goes by the name Marief L. McBurney, has been held at the Ocean County Jail since being taken into custody Wednesday. A recording said the office is permanently closed when NJ Advanced Media phoned Shore Medical Associates on Thursday afternoon. A phone number listed for McBurney was not in service. A spokesman for the prosecutor's office said he had no additional information about where Amazon Condit was when McBurney ran the alleged scam. I'm Sam DeChuchis, and that was your local news. I'm Aiden Doherty with your Rowan News. Caitlin Baston, an associate professor of medicine at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University, has been nominated by New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy as the next commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Health. Dr. Baston's nomination is a remarkable achievement that marks a significant milestone as Dr. Baston becomes the first CMSRU faculty member and first Cooper University healthcare physician to be nominated for to this esteemed position. Dr. Baston becomes the first CMSRU faculty member and first Cooper University healthcare physician to be nominated to this esteemed position. Less than a decade ago, Dr. Bassin arrived in Camden with a mission to launch addiction medicine program at Cooper. Under her exceptional leadership, Cooper established the Cooper Center for Healing, an integrated facility that provides innovative and compassionate care for patients dealing with substance use disorder, pain, trauma, and psychiatric disorders. Furthermore, the Center for Healing has been instrumental in providing hands-on training for CMSRU students. Future doctors undergo a week-long rotation at the facility during their third year, and fourth-year students have the opportunity to take an elective there. CMSRU deed Annette C. Riboli says, I'm confident that her passion for public health policy and her advocacy for patients will be a tremendous benefit for citizens of New Jersey. We wish her tremendous success in this exciting endeavor. At Jason Heindel's lab, biofilm is more than a slimy buildup that sticks to surface. This living multicellular community is key to the understanding of how bacteria causes infections. Heindel joined the Rowan community as an assistant professor in the Department of Biological and Biomedical Sciences at the College of Science and Mathematics. In September 2022, he has studied Acrobacterium for 13 years. There's still a lot to learn about this plant infecting bacterium that Heindel refers to as the original genetic engineer due to its ability to make its hosts produce a food source for it. A National Science Foundation Career Award is funding Heindel's exploration of the organization and cell cycle regulation through which agrobacterium infects plants. With this knowledge, Heindel can manipulate the bacteria to prevent or disperse biofilms or promote biofilms that are beneficial to the host. Agrobacterium is also a useful model for human pathogens. Understanding the pathways that control environmental response and cell regulation in this bacteria will allow us to reduce expression of genes that negatively impact the host and enhance the expression of genes for a positive impact, Heindel said. I'm Aiden Doherty, and that was your Rowan News. That does it for the first half of the Rowan Report, wrapping up this week's national, international, and local news. We are going to take a quick break. Up next, we have your weekly sports, business, and entertainment news. Stay tuned right here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.
Welcome back to the Rowan Report. I'm Allie Bruce along with the Rowan Radio News Team. I'm WGLS Sports Director Jack Miller for the Roan Report with your news from the professional sports world. Jalen Brown now has the richest contract in NBA history. He reached an agreement with the Boston Celtics to a five-year extension worth $304 million. He surpasses Denver Nuggets center Nikolai Jokic for largest NBA contract in total value, where Jokic's contract is at $276 million. Jalen Brown will be making $69 million in his final year of his contract in 2029. This contract as a whole is more than Shaquille O'Neal's total earnings in the NBA. Congratulations to Jalen Brown for being the richest man in the NBA. LeBron James' oldest son, Bronny James, suffered a cardiac arrest on Monday during a USC basketball practice. According to a James spokesperson, he stated, and I quote, medical staff was able to treat and take him to the hospital. He is now in stable condition and no longer in ICU, end quote. The spokesperson also stated that they would like their privacy and would keep the media updated when there is more information to come. The family also says that they are doing great since the incident. Now going to the gridiron, lost. Los Angeles Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert is the richest man in the NFL. He signed a five-year extension as well for $262.5 million, an average of $52.5 million per year, surpassing Lamar Jackson's $52 million per year contract with the Baltimore Ravens. Herbert has set records for not only the Chargers, but for the NFL in his first three seasons. Herbert set the record for most passing yards, total touchdowns, and games with 300-plus passing yards in his first three NFL seasons. Definitely well-deserved for the young LA quarterback. New York Giants running back Saquon Barkley reestablished a new contract with his former team for one year worth $11 million. He was on a franchise tag with the Giants worth $10.1 million, but a week prior, these two weren't able to agree to a long-term deal potentially worth $14 million and now settle with a short-term contract worth less. Barkley has been open about how he might sit out this coming regular season due to the running backs not getting enough money in their contracts. He still might due to the Giants not being able to figure out a long-term deal for Saquon. We'll see what comes with this whole situation when the NFL NFL regular season gets underway. NFL training camp started on Wednesday, and we already have some injuries to report. Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow was carted off the field after not being able to stand on his own two feet after a non-contact injury. They reported a calf injury, and according to doctors, they are saying that if it is a grade one calf injury, he'll be out for two to four weeks and be back in time for the start of the 2023 regular season. But if it's a grade two calf injury, Burrow will be out for four to six weeks and might miss the start of the regular season. Hopefully everything goes well with the injury of this Bengals quarterback. Again, I'm WGLS Sports Director Jack Miller for the Rome Report with your news from the professional sports world. Megan Steckler with your Roan Report business update. The Dow Jones Industrial Average Wall Street is logging its longest winning streak since 1987 after the Fed's decision to hike interest rates. Bank shares, including Wells Fargo, rose on improving prospects the economy could dodge a recession. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 82 points to 35 to 520. The S&P 500 lost a fraction of a point to 45 to 66. And the Nasdaq fell 17 points to 14 to 127. New home sales are slowing. Trey Thomas reports. Government figures show sales of new single-family homes fell to an annual rate of 697,000 units in June. It's a 2.5% decline from May's revised rate of 715,000 units. The median price of a new home sold in June was just over $415,000. I'm Trey Thomas. Elon Musk may face legal challenges over Twitter's new X logo. Michael Kastner reports. Hi, my name is... 
The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office said Meta applied to trademark the X logo in 2017 and officially registered it in June 2019. Legal experts say Meta could dispute Twitter's logo and call it trademark infringement, but it would ultimately be up to a judge to decide. Officials say Microsoft may also hold the trademarks on the X as a brand identity. I'm Michael Kastner. Boeing is reporting a nearly $150 million loss in the second quarter. Despite struggling with higher costs in both its airline and defense business, the aircraft manufacturer said it's starting to increase production of its two most popular airline planes, the 737 MAX and the two-aisle 787 Dreamliner. Boeing CEO David Calhoun says the company is making progress in improving stability in its factories and among suppliers. I'm Megan Steckler and this has been your Business News Report. I'm Al Lawton, and this is your entertainment news. Singer Sinead O'Connor is dead at the age of 56. O'Connor's family confirmed her passing on Wednesday in a statement to Irish media, saying they're devastated. O'Connor is known for hits including I Want Your Hands On Me and her version of Princess Nothing Compares to You. Her son Shane died at the age of 17 last year. Artists from all across the music world are paying tribute to O'Connor. Country singer Jason Isbell noted O'Connor's mental health battles when he tweeted, I hope there's peace for Sinead at last. Rapper Ice-T said respect to Sinead. She stood for something. Melissa Etheridge tweeted what a talent and recalled meeting, quote, this small, shy Irish girl at the Grammys. Scammers are cashing in on Barbie mania. Cyber criminals have been taking advantage of the hype to launch a wave of online scams to deceive consumers. Software security firm McAfee claims to have documented 100 new instances of malware with Barbie-related file names in the last three weeks alone. Most of the scam attempts involved setting up fake Barbie websites that advertise free tickets, but instead pull up links that hijack personal info with spyware. To avoid getting scammed, McAfee advises Barbie fans to stick with reliable retailers and streamers and to only buy tickets from reputable theater chains or apps. Actor Kevin Spacey has been found not guilty in his sexual assault trial in London. He faced nine charges in connection with alleged encounters with four men, while the two-time Oscar winner was in London from 2001 to 2013. The trial lasted four weeks and featured testimony from high-profile witnesses like Elton John. Spacey could have faced life in prison had he been convicted. Queen Latifah, Lotto, Remy Ma, and other vital female rappers are set to appear in an upcoming docuseries that highlights women's impact on hip-hop. On Tuesday, Netflix released the trailer for its new four-part series, Ladies First, A Story of Women in Hip-Hop. The clip features scenes of Cardi B, Tierra Wack, Ice Spice, and Coyla Ray, while other rappers like Debrat and Saweetie talk about how women have influenced rap culture. In the series, others will describe the long journey that women went through to gain respect in the industry, and there will be conversations with other key players like record label reps and stylists. Ladies First will premiere August 9th on Netflix. Footage of a Black Lives Matter protest has been quietly removed from Jason Aldean's latest video. The Washington Post was first to report that the video for Aldean's country hit, Try That in a Small Town, is now six seconds shorter than when it was uploaded to YouTube earlier this month. CMT pulled the video off the air after three days amid complaints from the NAACP. The video reportedly no longer contains news clips from 2020 showing violent confrontations during the Black Lives Matter protests. Aldean has defended the song and said, quote, There is not a single lyric in the song that references race or points to it. Britney Spears is joining the 1 billion streams club. On Tuesday, her hit song Toxic hit over a billion streams on Spotify. Spotify typically pays artists three to five cents per stream, meaning Spears could have potentially raked in up to $5 million in royalties from Toxic alone. I'm Elle Lawton, and that was your entertainment news. 
And that wraps up this week's edition of the Roan Report here on Roan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. For the Roan Radio News Team, I'm Allie Bruce. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. Be sure to join us every Saturday morning at 9.30 for another edition of The Rowan Report, exclusively here on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.